and you can turn in your scriptures to Zechariah chapter 5 as we continue our series, Let Your Hands Be Strong, a call to spiritual renewal from Zechariah, Haggai and Zechariah. It's also printed in your bulletin as well. A few years ago, uh, my mom uh, found a very concerning skin growth on her face. And she went to a medical professional to have it checked out. And this particular medical professional said to her, Patty, it's nothing. You have nothing to worry about. I'll remove this growth and um, you can be, be on your way. They removed the growth from my mom's face. They did not do a biopsy on it. And a few months later, the growth returned. My mom went to a different medical professional who looked at the growth and said, Patty, it's nothing. You've got nothing to worry about. This is not cancerous or concerning at all. We're going to remove it, but just to be safe, we'll send it uh, to the labs for a biopsy. A few days later, my mom gets a phone call, and this, this medical professional is shaken, and he says, Patty, the results are back. It's cancerous. It's melanoma and it's stage four. At that point, no one was giving my mom the message, just relax, or it's nothing, or don't worry. That would not have been a loving, healing message for my mom. The most loving and healing message that my mom could have received in that moment is, this is cancerous, this is serious, you need treatment, and time is of the essence. Charlie Peacock, the singer-songwriter, once sang these lines. Sin is a cancer, not just a thing you do from time to time. What is he saying? That sin is cancerous, not that sin causes cancer, but that sin teaches us, or that cancer teaches us about sin and its nature. Well, first of all, sin can be hidden and remain invisible. Number two, people um, are always available who will tell us that it's no big deal and there's nothing to worry about. And also, sin, like cancer, destroys us slowly from the inside out. And the most loving, healing message that any of us can receive if we have sin in our life is your sin problem is serious, a remedy is available, and time is of the essence. And the prophet Zechariah is one such messenger who will tell us the truth and will tell us what the remedy is. He, in chapter five, records two visions that he gets from God, and they come as a pair, and for good reason. Because the first vision is that of a flying scroll, which reveals the power of God's word to reveal sin before it destroys us. And the second vision is that of a basket and this basket is a symbol of how God in his grace and power can actually root out, remove sin, and put it far away from us as far as the east is from the west. And I'm glad these come as a pair because we need both. We need the diagnosis and we need the cure. So let's look at the diagnosis, which comes in the form of a flying scroll. Verse 1 of Zechariah 5 says this, Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. 
And he, and this is an angel interpreting the vision, he said to me, what do you see? I, Zechariah, answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width 10 cubits. So Zechariah is seeing like a flapping banner the size of a billboard. This is 30 feet long and 15 feet high. The closest parallel that we have is the banners that are uh, carried by a plane, you know, as they're, as they're flying over Lake Michigan and you see a flapping banner behind it, except this has no plane carrying it. It's flying on its own, rippling through the air, and it's carrying the power of blessing and of cursing. And it's going to a very specific destination and verses three and four tell us where it's headed. Um, then he, the angel, said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out or cut off, you could interp- uh, translate it that way, according to what is on one side. And everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out or cut off according to what is on the other side. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. And it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stones. What is this flying scroll? This scroll has God's law written on both sides. And it's a symbol, a living symbol of the covenant that God made with Israel. Israel kept that law. There was blessing that came to them. There was overflow that came to him. There was the presence of God that came to, to Israel. Um, But when they broke that law, there was death and decay and cursing that resulted as as a result of their sin. This scroll demonstrates um, that God sees everything and that he will not be mocked and that everything that he's spoken in his word is true and will come to pass. On one side of this particular scroll contains the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. And on the other side of this flying scroll contains the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And we know this because the consequences for those who steal and the consequences for those who lie are written on one side or the other. And those who flagrantly uh, broke these laws are about to be cleaned out, that is, cut off from God's covenant blessings. It enters their house and um, it enacts, it sort of catalyzes the consequences of the choices that they had been making so that their household, their very household becomes destroyed down to the timber and stones. This is a very interesting and powerful scroll because it's very, very large, large enough for all to see it. God's word is public and to be made known by everybody, but it's also able to enter into houses and it's able to enter behind closed doors. This scroll is a bit of a heat-sinking missile. It seeks out places where sin is festering. And if there's no repentance, the scroll is going to catalyze the consequences and consume the house. This powerful scroll reminds me of uh, what's spoken in Hebrews 4, which says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, God's sight, but all must give an account 
uh, to him. A very powerful scroll. In his novel, uh, William Krugel's novel, This Tender Land, uh, he tells the story of a boarding school in the Dakotas during the Great Depression. This boarding school took in kids who were orphaned, took in kids whose parents couldn't afford to feed and board them. And at this boarding school, the kids, once they are behind closed doors, they are abused and they are mistreated and they are made to do um, manual labor with no pay at all. Um, the kids are poorly clothed. They can't afford, many of them, uh, shoes, proper shoes for the winter or coats for the winter. Yet the um, head of the school and her husband drive a nice car. They wear nice new clothes. They're very religious on the outside, but something doesn't add up. After enduring years of abuse, there are two brothers that decide, hey, we're going to break free of this boarding school. But before they leave, they break into the headmaster's house to retrieve one of the items that the headmaster took. And in the process of breaking into the house, they find something very shocking, which is a cache of letters from parents and caregivers which say things like this, will you please take care of my son for me? Here's $5 to buy him shoes. Would you please take care of my daughter for me? Here's $10 to buy her a coat. There's a stack of these letters and they're hidden away. And right next to the stack of letters is a stack of money, a huge cache of money, which was funding the headmaster's lavish lifestyle. They had been lying. <laughs> they had been stealing. And who did that hurt the most? It hurt the vulnerable. It hurt the children. Now, the Israelites had the same approach to life as the headmaster couple, except this time it wasn't a fictional novel. It was real life. What were the Israelites doing? The same thing. They were stealing from the poor. They were getting people to work for them, but then they would deny them wages. They paid off government officials. They cheated customers without being detected. And you know what? This was the way things were done before the exile. It was like everyone had come to accept that, yeah, everyone kind of lies to each other. Everyone is a little bit two-faced. Everyone kind of steals from each other. And that's what you have to do to survive. It was socially acceptable. And it was sort of maybe even thought of as socially necessary. And the worst part was they covered it up and they thought, we're not getting any consequences. We must be getting away with it. They had their own cachet of money, as it were. They were robbing from each other, and they were robbing from God. But the living and active word of God found their secret stash. And those who refused to repent of their lies and their theft got consumed. And that's what Zechariah sees here, the living and active word of God. Going behind closed doors, it's public for all to see, yet it pierces down to the households and the hearts that are harboring sin, that are living a two-faced life. And they got consumed. God will not be mocked. What we hide does end up consuming us. In 2012, researchers at the University of Notre Dame studied the impact of what it's like to live a life where you're telling lies versus telling the truth. And what they did is they asked um, two groups of people. It's like one group of people who just go about living your life as you normally have. 
And the other group of people, they told them, don't tell any lies to anybody. No white lies, no big lies, no nothing. No, no, no lies. Only the truth. Axios, the news agency, reported on the study, and they summarized the findings in this way. Quote, these researchers discovered that we tend to lie to those closest to us, like family members or close friends. The truth tellers in, uh, reported improvements in their relationships with friends and family when they stopped lying to them. The group of truth tellers reported fewer instances of poor mental health, such as feeling tense or melancholy, as well as fewer physical symptoms like sore throats or headaches. And the, um, cont they continue when we tell lies, Regardless of whether they're big or small, our bodies respond. Lying can trigger an increased heart rate, high blood pressure, and elevated levels of stress hormones in the blood, psychologists have found. Over time, that can take a significant toll on mental and physical health. So what's happening here? Modern research is confirming what the scriptures have been telling us all along, which is that hidden sin consumes our soul. It consumes our relationships and it slowly kills us from the inside out. We have so many people in our life who are willing to tell us an opposite message, which is, it's no big deal. It, it, it's fine. It's a white lie. You have nothing to worry about. And we want that to be true. We want it to be true. We want God's covenant blessings without coming under God's covenant commandments. But when it comes to sin, that can't happen. It's not true. It sounds like good news when someone tells us it's not a big deal, but it's bad medicine. It's bad medicine. And that's why we need the flying scroll. That's why we need the word of God. To expose what's hidden, to pierce even between joints and marrow. Now, this Sunday, we did the great litany to begin our service. You'll notice that in future Sundays in Lent, we'll be beginning with the Ten Commandments, hearing them read from Exodus 20 and responding, Lord, have mercy. We could even think of this as a spiritual biopsy of, of sorts, as we hear the commandments to not lift up other gods beyond the living God, the commandment to, um, to not bear false witness, the commandment to honor our father and mother, the commandment to keep the Sabbath, all these commandments, the commandment not to commit adultery or to covet what our neighbor has that we don't have. Consider it like a spiritual biopsy, what needs to change. It's the flying scroll coming into our lives, hearts, homes, revealing what's there. But we need more than the diagnosis, right? We need more than the biopsy. We need the cure. We need the removal. Because cancerous is more powerful sometimes than the person who has it. You need a skilled person from the outside to remove it. And that's where the basket comes in. We don't just need the scroll. We need this basket. And we read about it in verse 5 and following. Verse 5, Zechariah 5, Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, Lift up your eyes and see what this is that is going out. And I said, What is it? He said, This is the basket that is going out. And he said, This is their iniquity in all of the land. Um, so what's in this inside the basket? And, and verse 7 and 8 tell us, And behold, the leaden cover was lifted. And there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he, the angel said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight. 
on its opening. The angel cracks open this basket just a little bit, and there's a face of a woman that is revealed just for a moment, just so that they can see it. But lest she escape from the basket in which she is contained, the angel uh, thrusts her back down and thrusts the lead-lined cover back on top of her. Um, now, some here might be wondering, why does a woman personify the wickedness of Israel? Is this an example of the scriptures being like misogynistic? And, and the answer is no, and here's why. In the scriptures, we find that a woman can be a symbol for good as well as a symbol of wickedness, just like a man can be a symbol of good or of wickedness. Uh, in fact, the book of Proverbs features Lady Wisdom, and Lady Wisdom is a virtuous character, and she calls out, she's a personification of God's wisdom, and, and she calls out to, to people offering them the way of life and peace, especially to young people. Also, if we notice who carries this basket away. Verse nine tells us that it's a pair of women. Uh, then I lifted up my eyes and, and, and uh, saw and behold two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. And verse 10, then I said to the angel who talked to me, where are, they, where are these women taking the basket? And he said to me, well, to the land of Shinar to build a house for it. And when this house is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. So the angel's commentary about the woman in verse 8 is that she simply is wickedness. And verse 11 tells us that she's being removed to the land of Shinar. Now, what's the land of Shinar? This is the region containing Babylon and Canaan. This land was the source of many idols that stood opposed to God. Do you know what came from the land of Shinar? The Tower of Babel, that original idolatrous structure that represented rebellion and pride apart from God. The idol Baal came from the land of Shinar, and he was a symbol of male virility and power. And then Ashtoreth, this idol, this feminine idol, who symbolized fertility and wealth. Now, for years, what did Israel do? They, they worshipped Baal and they worshipped Ashtoreth. If you wanted an increase of your crops, if you wanted more children, which would mean more wealth, you would uh, be tempted to, in this time, worship Baal and Ashtoreth, offering them bread cakes, offering them drink off offerings. You could go as far as engaging in the temple prostitution ceremonies that they had available. And in some cases, in some parts of the world, that would lead to child sacrifice. Now, we don't know exactly how far Israel went down this very dark path of worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth, but the prophets tell us in their own poetic way, directly and indirectly, that Israel had cheated on God with these gods that were not gods at all. And they had degraded themselves by worshiping mixture of uh, worshiping, you know, Yahweh and then worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth. Yahweh and Baal don't mix. Yahweh is against Baal and he is against Ashtoreth and he's against the human degradation that they require. He wants our whole heart. He wants our whole worship. 
And in many ways, Israel was only a nominally faithful nation before she was sent off into exile. She flirted with them, and then she fell for them, and then she fell. Now, this really did bring a curse on the land, and it brought a lot of pain on the land. It brought a lot of injustice in the land. The woman in the basket represents, like, the spiritual darkness that haunted Israel as a result of the compromise. And anytime a nation gives itself to sin, there's going to be a spiritual darkness that is more powerful than any one particular person or that group of people to remove it. The Israelites couldn't remove the curse on their own. Try as they might, this woman from Babylon was not going to go quietly, which is why the angel had to shove her back down and had a lead line cover. She didn't want to go. The wickedness did not want to go. It never, ever does. But God, in his grace, can contain it and can remove it. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's offering to do here. He removes Israel's iniquity as far as the east is from the west. He's taking her all the way back to the land from where she came. Now, when my mom got the news of the stage four melanoma, she needed more than the biopsy. She needed more than the diagnosis. She needed a cure. I was encouraged just listening to her talk about the providential way that she got connected to um, a top uh, melanoma oncologist, cancer doctor um, in Michigan. This oncologist was known for rooting out cancer. And what he ended up doing was um, he ended up removing two inches of skin on her face, which if uh, two inches on your face is a lot of skin, he cut very very deep. He had to because the first time around, she didn't know that she had cancer. And so it began to spread. Thankfully, it didn't reach her lymph nodes. And he was able to remove it by removing skin, but it went very deep and it was very painful. But he got all of it. It was very effective. Thanks be to God. Now, our God is like an oncologist he can root out the sickness of the soul that's killing us. The process is pretty painful, though, depending on how long it's festering. And, and the cut can feel very deep. But this is the Lord in his grace rooting out the spiritual cancer inside of us and saving our soul by his grace. And like the lead-lined basket, he removes our wickedness as far as the east is from the west. And the Holy Spirit brings the breath of God blowing away our sin, but also the life-giving waters of God that flow from his throne that washes us clean and fills us with his Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus himself bore our wickedness on the cross, and he broke sin's power to haunt us or to taunt us. He carried our sins back to the land from where it came. His blood was the effective cleansing agent that canceled the power of sin, broke its curse, broke the law that was opposed to us, uh, and set us free. Anything that God exposes inside of us um, can be removed from us forever by his power. Anything that the law of God reveals, the Son of God can forgive. Um, has sin harmed our relationships? 
If we repent, God can begin to heal those very relationships. There's hope. Has sin enslaved us in a cycle of harm and regret? If we repent, God can disrupt that cycle and set us free. He can give us new patterns and habits that bring life. There is hope. Has sin haunted us through the accusations of the enemy? Uh, who is the devil, the accuser? If we repent, God can silence the enemy and bring the deepest peace to our life. We can sleep well again at night. There is hope. So this Lent is actually an incredible opportunity for us. Let us, this Lent, confess our sins. Let us repent of our sins. There will be an incredible impact. Let us, unlike the thieves and the liars mentioned in Zechariah 5, welcome the flying scroll. Welcome the flying scroll into our hearts and lives and homes as a blessing rather than as a curse. Let's say, God, expose what needs to be exposed. Cut as deep as you need to. Root out any wickedness that does not belong. Let us repent this Lent and experience the power of God to remove sin from our life. When my mom finished her final cancer treatment, um, she did what is customary in um, the, the cancer process where when all the treatments are done, she had more treatments to come. When they were all done, she rang the bell. Are you familiar with this practice? You ring the bell when you're done with cancer treatments. And you know that my, my delicate mom broke the bell. She rang it so hard. And you know, it's like, go mom, you know? Why not? Because, because you have victory over the thing that was killing you. Now we have a tradition on Easter Sunday called the Holy Noise. You familiar with this tradition? And yeah, I mean, it's awesome, isn't it? And we're ringing the bell because Jesus is alive and he has victory over death and victory over sin and victory over all the things that we thought we could never kick and never get rid of. And we're celebrating that he's alive and we're celebrating that he's forgiven us. And look, what if this Lent in between now and six weeks from now, we really do welcome the, we do welcome the process of being from here to ringing the bell. And we say, Lord, bring whatever treatment that you need to our church. Bring whatever treatment you need to our relationships. Bring whatever treatment you need to our households and our hearts and our habits. Everything, Lord, bring that flying scroll and bring the basket of the cross of Christ. Because his forgiveness is abounding. His mercy is greater than our sin. So let us turn to him, repent of our sin, and let him cut as deep as is necessary. Right? And then when the time comes, let's ring the bell until it breaks. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.